I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is an interview with Rebecca. She is another successful survivor of abuse. Rebecca's torment began in her sophomore year in high school. And like so many stories, it started slowly and progressed in both ferocity and frequency. Today, we welcome Rebecca, who has listened to the When Dating Hurts podcast and wanted to come on and tell her story. And she had said that she had never told it from beginning to end. I want to welcome you today, and it's so good to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you, Bill. I reached out because I I started listening to your podcast after I heard your own personal story on the This Is Actually Happening podcast. So I found When Dating Hurts after that. And just listening to the stories um, just made me want to reach out and, you know, tell my own story. And hopefully it helps somebody in the future. I think that's great. That's very generous of you. And I love the fact that this podcast helps people to crystallize their feelings about things that have happened to them. And I hope pick up the phone and call a hotline, do something, just move through it. People who are victims to move through it and find their freedom, which you did. If you uh, would like, let's go ahead back into your high school days, just before you met Mike and just kind of, you know, what were you up to just preceding Mike entering? So in high school, I... I wouldn't call myself popular. I didn't didn't really fit in with that crowd. During my sophomore year, I did make the cheerleading team. So, you know, I was with a, I, I had a few close friends, but I was with, you know, a larger group of people. I was a shy kid and I'm actually a shy adult. I'm quiet in <laughs> my adult life. I was very quiet. If you don't mind, I'll go back a little bit further and explain that a little. So I grew up with my mom, mostly my dad was kind of in and out of our lives. We lived in Arkansas at the time. That's where I was born. I had my, I had a sister. My sister, Kristen, is three years younger. And then later on, my sister, Kelly, was born, who is about seven and a half years younger. We all have the same dad. He, him and my mom were high school sweethearts. I don't know what happened after high school, but he kind of just, I don't know what exactly happened, but he kind of just went off the deep end, you know, alcohol and stuff like that. And I had seen him be physically abusive with my mom. There were many instances when I was a child that I witnessed domestic violence, whether it was him, you know, breaking in our house or hitting my mom. He he kicked the door down before he at one point started a fire in our front yard. It was just very tumultuous. And he would leave and my parents would get back together and then he would stay for a week. And this was my main memories are from when I was maybe six to 10. My sister was born when I was seven and she was, I guess, the result of them getting back together. And then and then he ended up leaving again. So they ended up getting divorced, which I actually still have a great relationship with him. He's 
he's a different person now. So I just want to throw that out there. I don't want to just totally bash him because I, I have a great relationship with him. But my mom, a couple years later, when I was, I think, 11, she married my stepdad and we moved to Arizona. So that's where high school took place. And my stepdad was older and had never been married. And so he's he's all of a sudden married and has three girls. <laughs> Gee. He was very strict, very old school. I should go back because since I was, since I've since I can remember, I've always been very boy crazy. I've always wanted a boyfriend. I always, growing up, and I see my daughter now who's 12, and she's not like that at all. And so <clears throat> it's it's interesting to me. I guess I think in hindsight, I didn't have that dad who loved me and cared for me. And I think that, you know, my whole life, I was just kind of craving that. And back to my stepdad, I did not get that from him. I was the oldest, so I had spent the most time with my biological dad, and I think it was just a weird transition. So not that we didn't get along, but he was very, very hard on me. I guess, you know, leading up to high school, I had never dated before. I was obviously, I was a sophomore. I was 15 years old. I wasn't allowed to date. I got really good at lying to my parents, though. When you have strict parents, I think that happens a lot, but I I lied to my parents all the time. High school, I, like I said, was not a popular kid. I, I was a bit awkward, you know, quiet. I had a few friends, a few close friends. I met Mike sophomore year. He was a, I guess you would say the star basketball player, <laughs> if they have one of those in high school, but he was a basketball player. I was a cheerleader. I, I suppose I met him in a group of people. I don't honestly remember. And it all would have taken place in school because I wasn't really allowed to go places. So I mean, in school or maybe after after a basketball game or something when everybody was hanging out, we started dating. And when, back then it was more like you you date and you ask somebody out and they you say, okay, we're going out now. And you know, it was great at first. And it was my first boyfriend. And I hear a lot on your podcast about love bombing, and it's funny to me because anything would have been a love bomb to me. Anything. Anything was great, huh? Anything was great because I had this guy, he, he liked me. So sophomore year, I want to say it was towards the end of sophomore year, so things were good. During the summers, I went back to Arkansas for the majority of the summer to stay with my dad. And my sisters and I did. And this was the time of long distance calls and no cell phones and all of that. So very pricey. My grandparents bought me calling cards and stuff like that. And I mean, we're going back to like 98, 99 at this time. So when I came back from that summer, my junior year, we're still dating. I want to say I probably talked to him on the phone once a week or so while I was away that first summer that we were dating. So I came back and that was the first summer that I had gone to cheer camp. And I wasn't friends with a lot of the cheerleaders just because I think because my parents were so strict and I wasn't allowed to do things other kids were like go to the mall or hang out without adults around. So I think that's probably why I wasn't friends with most of them. But I started hearing things like, oh, he was, he kissed this girl while you were gone and all of this. And I kind of just, it shocked me because I guess I didn't think about stuff like that happening or I thought, oh, he's with me. He's not going to 
do anything. I didn't know much about cheating. I mean, I was 15, 16 at this time. So junior year happened. And once that started, it just got, I had a couple of classes with him. And I remember if I would look in a certain direction or, oh, do you think that guy's cute? Are you looking at him? Do you, it was slowly like you're, don't talk to him. Don't look at him. I don't, again, it's so long ago. I don't remember exactly, you know, the progression of it, but I know that at some point very soon into my junior year, I began walking with my head down. Oh, so you you couldn't possibly look at anybody. Going back, but as far as the the cheating rumors and stuff like that, he of course denied everything. And I want to say at this time he had said, I love you to me. And that was just, you know, amazing to me. And of course, of course I said that back and, you know, my parents were not happy with that because they would hear me on the phone. They would listen in on my phone calls and how early on would you say that you heard the I love you part? How how far into the relationship would you uh, say? Probably a couple months. Okay. Maybe a couple months. It could have even been sooner than that, but it was very early on. Yes. Okay. Um, so you felt it at the time that it was early on? No, I was just happy to. Oh, oh you just, that's right. That's right. That's, <laughs> you thought of yourself as a love charity case, right? So. Yeah, I, I think so. Anything that came along was just wonderful. It's like, wow, this is good too. It was. I, yeah, I didn't have male attention or that growing up from either of my dads at all. So yeah, I think that was, I want to say psychologically, that was probably the reason why I just craved that so much. And from a young age. Sometime in junior year early on, he gave me a ring that was his mother's ring. And his mother had passed away when he was very young. Oh, that's bad. He didn't have a great home life, but his mother had passed away and he gave me this ring and I'm just like, wow, I guess that was a child version of love bombing maybe, but I'm just, wow, he gave me his mother's ring and I wore it proudly. And it just got to the point, I, before the physical abuse began, it got to the point where I just couldn't talk to anyone. He didn't like my friends. So it's hard to say that I stopped hanging out with my friends because I wasn't allowed to hang out with people much, you know, as a kid, my parents, male and female, even female, my parents were just, they had to know their parents. They were very, and it just wasn't worth it. I think for me to go through all of this, to hang out. Do you mean your parents were shutting down all these other people or was Mike doing that? He was shutting down my friends at school. Okay. When I said at school, it's not that I wasn't I wasn't really hanging out with my friends in school outside of school because I just, my parents were strict and I wasn't allowed to do much. I did stop talking to my friends at school. I stopped just conversing with people. I didn't talk to anyone. I walked with my head down. I didn't raise my hand in class. I didn't, I was extremely shut down. People noticed it on the cheer team and I was actually made fun of and bullied a lot Mm. for it. Yeah, I'll get into some of that later on with when I get to what later on. So I remember the first time that I that he hit me was junior year. It was early on. We had been fighting about something. He was probably he probably accused me of looking at someone or talking to someone or liking somebody else. I had gone to cheer practice and he He came to the gym and looked through the door and I was laughing and 
you know, having fun at cheer. And that was something that really bothered him. I couldn't have fun, like without him. He was very jealous. So, and I think right after we had been fighting for me to go in and just, but I had to shut it off. I had to separate that. So he saw me having fun, laughing or something to that effect. And I I don't know, I must have seen him and I went outside to talk to him outside the gym and it was at school and he, he punched me in the face. I mean, like a fist punch in the face. Yeah. I don't, he just, it was like the side of my face. I was shocked. I, I, I like fell to the ground and I was just in shock. It wasn't a slap. It was a real life punch. It wasn't hard, like enough to break my jaw or anything like that, but it was a punch. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah. And did anybody see it happen? No, no, they didn't. Not that time. And I went back in. I remember I had, I was crying and I went back in and I just, people could tell I was crying, but I just pretended like everything was fine and shut it off. And to be honest, it was so long ago that I don't remember. I don't remember him actually apologizing for anything because I know a cycle of abuse is you apologize and things are good for a week or two and then it happens again. I I honestly don't remember him apologizing Mm -hmm. at all. You're right about that. For some people, they're just so happy that person who did it starts acting better that you just say, well, at least we have peace again. And this reminds me more of the early days. So I guess that was an aberration and it happened and let's hope it never happens again. Let's be happy. (laughs) Yeah. I, I wasn't at that point. I had really not a lot of people to turn to. I did not talk to my parents about any of this. Mm -hmm. They would have grounded me. Sure. They would. They would have just grounded me instead of, and again, I'll get into this later. This has so much to do with the way I parent my daughter right now, but I I couldn't talk to them because it just, it wasn't going to happen. So after that initial abuse, and again, it was verbal abuse as well. He would, he would call me a bitch. He would say, you're crazy when I would get really upset and cry. And like, obviously I wasn't cheating on him. Like I wasn't even allowed to go anywhere. I don't know what that was, you know, that's just the hallmark of a cheater right there is somebody who is going to accuse you of cheating. But, you know, I would cry, I would beg him to stop doing that. It, it just, you know, I used to say the, the verbal and emotional abuse hurt worse than the physical abuse. I hear that quite a lot. I really do. They say that's, that sticks with you a lot longer. It hurt a lot more. It does. I was only allowed, I, I still wasn't allowed to actually date at this time. So my parents thought we were going out with a group, but they knew that I had a boyfriend. I was only allowed to go out one day on the weekend. So it would either be Friday night or Saturday night. And I had to be home by, I think it was nine o'clock or something like that. It was very early. So he was allowed to drop me off and go back and do whatever he was doing, which I found out later, which is awful. Wow. Awful. It just became progressive throughout junior year. We had the same lunch break. So we had the same lunch at school and we were allowed to leave for lunch. He had a car junior year and I did not. We were allowed to leave for lunch. So we would go, I don't know, somewhere close by Taco Bell or something like that. And it was just very isolating. It was constant fighting. I remember he started spitting on me, which is 
one of the absolute most degrading things that somebody can do. Yes, I totally, I'm totally there with you. Yeah. So I just, my self-worth was completely, you know, these are formative years, your teenage years, 15, 16, 17. And this is what, this is what I was going through. As far as the physical abuse, it would mostly, it wasn't in my, on my face most of the time, except for that, because I don't know if he was smart enough not to hit me in the face. But we would be in the car and he would just like punch me really hard in my arm or my legs. And I had bruises all over. And I lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And like I said, I was, it was hot and I was wearing long sleeves all the time. I don't know how my parents didn't know. I, I don't know how they didn't know. I wasn't I don't remember like really trying to hide it. And you know what? They did see bruises at times and I'm like, oh, I got hit at cheer. I fell at cheer practice or I did, you know, I always, I still wonder to this day how my mom being a domestic violence survivor herself didn't, I, I don't know, didn't see it. And I was lying about it, but didn't see it. Like I said, just, I had bruises everywhere from just getting mad and just like, just like punching me. My parents went to, we lived in Phoenix. My parents went to Vegas a lot and would leave us, my, my grandma would come watch us. Well, when my grandma came and watched us, we did whatever <laughs> we wanted. So we, she was um, at our house one time and I don't, he came over, my sisters, God bless them. They, my, my middle sister, Kristen, the one who is three years younger than me, she was young at the time, only 13. She knew, and my sister who was eight is literally the most special person in my life. She, she knew Kelly. Yeah. She knew things at the time. And for an eight-year-old, she never, she would sit with me while I cried. She never told my parents a single thing. I mean, this poor girl had to grow up before her time because of the things that she knew and heard. Yeah. She's absolutely my best friend now. My sisters, they, they were pretty much all that I had back then. My middle sister, who was closest to me in age, she had her own issues. I think we all did. I think my youngest sister probably was the less, the less scathed from our past because she was only two when we moved to Arizona. And so she kind of grew up with my stepdad as her dad, more so. Back to my grandma being <laughs> and watching us, my grandma being there. I remember him, he met me outside my house or something. And we lived in a townhouse. So it was, you could walk around and like, there wasn't a lot of windows where you could like see outside. And again, fighting, he, and I don't know that he actually meant to do this, but he elbowed me really hard in the face. I don't know if he meant to get my face, but he hit me like right here. I have a scar because my tooth went through my lip like right below my lip and I have a, a line there yeah it was I was blood it was it was awful and he just got mad and left and I had to go back in and this is again where my poor eight-year-old sister at the time is seeing this and you know I, I should have probably gotten stitches or something but it just isn't I wasn't driving it it just didn't so I just I don't know put a band-aid on it and moved on but oh man there were some pretty bad instances. I remember one, and this is, I think, during senior year, but I remember one where I think we were at his house and we got out of the car and he got mad at me for something and threw his keys at me. 
and they hit me in the face. And again, my face is bleeding. I had a cut on my face. He threw the keys, but then the keys fell into the yard where there was grass and he couldn't find them. And he was mad, like really mad. And he's like yelling at me to find his keys. And I'm just scared at the time. So I'm like on the ground trying to find these keys and he's kicking me and my ribs. And I'm pretty sure I had broken ribs, but again, I never went to the hospital, never anything. I remember going home. This had to have been senior year when that when that instance happened because I had my car. But I remember going home and a neighbor, a neighbor who was my age in high school and he lived next door to me. I wasn't allowed to talk to him, <laughs> obviously. But he ended up pulling up around the same time I did and saw my face and I know he told my parents about it. I, I don't know why they never did anything. Make a big issue out of it. Yeah, they didn't. No, I really don't know. I I remember at one point them saying, you have to break up with him. But then like, okay, I'm really not going to do that. But okay, it was too far gone. The question that anybody listening to a lot of these podcasts will ask, and that is, you've got all this stuff going on. Why don't you dump this guy? I had people asking me why I didn't break up with him why? Like, you're you're a beautiful girl. You could do so much. Like, why do you do this? And I felt like I couldn't breathe if I didn't have him. I don't, I, I don't know. There were times I, I actually, you know, I definitely thought about it and I knew that I should. I'm pretty sure that I knew that obviously this wasn't healthy, that I needed thought about it. It just, I, it just was something I couldn't, I couldn't do. I felt, I didn't have a lot of people in my life to turn to Do you feel like you maybe went through a thought process where it's like, I know this isn't good. It's good sometimes, but I know it isn't good. I don't like a lot of it, but I don't know what's on the other side of this. It's like he's, he could be the last train out, so to speak. He's here. He's now. I don't know if anybody will ever come along the rest of my life. Did you ever have thoughts like that? I, I wasn't, I was just very young and I, it almost was like I didn't care what he did as long as I had that person who said that he loved me. And it's so funny to think now because high school is such a short time in your life and there's so much more to think that was it. But at the time, I definitely did think that that was all there was. And I didn't think that I would love anyone else like I did with him. And I, I look back on pictures now and I'm like, that is a skinny punk kid. Mm. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but at the time, it was just just overpowering. And and there were, I want to say, a couple of times he did break up with me or I broke up with him. or But then it would just, the next day, it would be like it never happened. It would just pick up where it left off. Like it never happened. Yeah. Junior year, he picked me up for school every day. And I, like I said, we had lunch every day. We were very much together every day. I didn't really have an opportunity to make friends or talk to people or anything like that. So after junior year, of course, I go to Arkansas again. And I obviously didn't want to go because I, I was just terrified of being away and what would happen. And he probably loved when I was away because he could, you know, do whatever. I guess I didn't have a lot of friends. I was told by, you know, after high school, I was told by somebody that I, that I had been friends with and lost touch with that 
just no one really respected me that I just allowed this to happen. And I guess people didn't have a lot, just didn't have a lot of respect for me. So let's move on to senior year. It's nothing's any better. You know, I'm still on cheer. He's still playing basketball. I will say when I was cheering, he did not like when I cheered for football. He didn't like me cheering for the football players. So during football season, and I remember both years, junior and senior, actually, that there was a day in school where the cheerleaders all wore the football players' jerseys. And I was, mm. oh, I wouldn't even have attempted to do that. <laughs> but there were things like that that were fun, like fun high school things that I didn't get to participate in. He didn't want me cheering at away games. And when I would cheer, and when I say away, I think where I live now, it's like far. But in Phoenix, there's like 40 high schools just in the valley. So you might be away and you might be like a few miles away, but he didn't like me cheering at, you know, away games. And it was always just a reason for a fight. I'll just go through a few instances that I know happened that year. And my sister was a freshman when I was a senior. This is Kristen. So starting senior year, my sister's there. My sister is, she won't take any shit from anyone. She's, she was not, she's the typical second child. (laughs) She wouldn't let anybody say anything about me. She And I'm a senior, and I'm supposed to protect her, and she was really there for me. My mom actually, I did not have lunch with Mike during senior year. We had different lunch periods, and I didn't have anyone on my lunch period that I was friends with or that I could sit with, and I would, if, like in the movies, I went to the bathroom at lunch and sat there at lunch. Yes, because I was just not outgoing enough to just walk up to people and I just so you just stuff your lunch in and go or somehow yeah yeah, yeah I just like kind of hit virtually out. walking so, through the hallway eating yeah so one thing my mom did was she changed my sister's schedule so that she could have lunch with me good <laughs> yes. move that's a good move so that was wonderful and I ended up becoming friends with a couple of cheerleaders who were a year younger than me, who I didn't really know well before, but a year younger than me. So we all sat together at lunch and it was nice to have them. So anyway, when I talk about the bullying, people just didn't respect me that I let this happen. I stayed with this guy, but I had girls who liked him and maybe were even with him behind my back. I want to say 100% they were just kind of taunting me. They would pour like soda on my car. They would write dirt in dirt like slut on my car. I I don't know. I had girls like in the cafeteria throw ice at me. My sister was just not, (laughs) she would walk up to the table and really just get into it with people. I don't know. I just became like a shell. I was not, I would never let somebody do that to me in my life now. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. would never happen, but I don't, I was just very broken down. A memory just came to me during senior year at lunch, a a CD came out. It was an Eminem CD. And I was so excited to get this and I got it. And I remember telling my friends, oh, don't tell him I bought this. He'll be so mad if he thinks I like him. He'll think that I, I I couldn't even like, like celebrities. As if you were going to strike up a relationship with him. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So the physical abuse is still going on. There was a time after a basketball game, I was with a group of people and he thought I was talking to one of the guys in the group and I was leaving to take 
one of the other cheerleaders home and he came over and started yelling at me and he ended up like pushing me and spit on me again in the car. And my friend got out and was like, what are you doing? And he pushed her. Oh, he's really taking it yeah. to the next level. It got really bad. There was another girl that towards the end of senior year, I had known her since elementary school, but we were never friends. I don't think I ever talked to her, but she was a very shy, like smart girl. He started dating her. It was behind my back and I had heard things about it and he lied to me, but he started dating her. I would say easily he did the same thing to her because I think that's who he was dating after high school and all of that. So she definitely went through this as well. <laughs> she got the same treatment. Yeah. Overall. And physical, the whole thing, emotional, physical, everything you think? I would be willing to bet. Yes, because she was very much like me and the fact that I don't know that she would have stood up for herself. I don't know. I, I was just very impressionable. Guys go after people who were like that. Mm -hmm. You have to have all these things going for you, but you also have to be somebody who they know they can get away with it. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I probably was the first person he did this to. I can't imagine he was doing this at 13 and 14 years old, but, but who knows? <laughs> These people tend to just keep it coming and they get better at it, or if you want to say worse at yeah. it. I wonder if he set out to be that way. I, I just, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't know. He definitely was good at it and, you know, isolating me, the physical and mental abuse, like I really couldn't get away. Yeah. <laughs> just another memory I had, he got a new car and it was like an, an older used car, but he got a new car at some point during senior year and it was a stick shift and I, he picked me up and didn't really know how to drive it and just got really angry because he stalled and really took it out on me and I was really beat up that day. Oh, really? Yeah, just angry. This concludes part one with Rebecca. Be looking for part two where her emotional and physical abuse forces her to decide whether to stay with her abuser or find her way out. The more who listen, the more who better understand domestic violence. We see now that When Dating Hurts has become the platform where dating and domestic abuse survivors can tell their entire stories from those early days when they thought it was love through the horrific nightmarish times of emotional manipulation, power and control tactics, and sometimes devastating physical violence. It sneaks up on people. That's how domestic violence traps people. I want to give extra emphatic thanks to the survivors who have come to us and told us in great detail their personal stories of abuse. These generous survivors have afforded us open access into the worst times they have ever endured. Their lives were made miserable by domineering abusers, people who were relentless in the calculated evil they perpetrated specifically to devise invisible prisons around those they told they loved. These stories, although challenging to listen to, are made bearable because we know that each of the survivors will eventually transition from a victim to a survivor. We see the sheer determination and immense courage it sometimes takes for a person to regain freedom. It's important to know that victims can always get help, victims can always get out, and victims can become survivors. Okay, just a quick reminder, the When Dating Hurts book is available on Amazon. It's in paperback and ebook and audiobook forms. If you're a survivor 
and you have a story we need to hear, please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. Thank you for listening.